1: The No Chill Podcast is brought to you by Life Recovery Water, offering up three tasty, thirst-quenching blends guaranteed to refuel your body while satisfying your palate. The three flavors, watermelon, pineapple, and coconut, rehydrate the body with necessary electrolytes such as potassium, magnesium, phosphorus, and calcium. These electrolyte properties are vital to any athlete or sports enthusiast after a tough workout, a tough training session, or a tough night out in the town. Replenishing the body with an all-natural product is the best way to recover. Life Recovery Water, get some today. On this episode of the No Chill Podcast, Gil looks back on his exit from Golden State and his arrival in Washington. He recalls a few other teams that could have been for Agent Zero, and yes, a coin flip to decide his next team. In D.C., Gil found a franchise looking to turn the page from the previous Michael Jordan era and a fan base craving success. Before he'd figure things out as a wizard, the Cali Kid would have to adjust to the East Coast. Once he got comfortable, the takeover was on and a new era was in full swing. Here it is, episode three of the No Chill Podcast. Subscribe to the No Chill Podcast wherever you get your podcast and follow No Chill Productions on YouTube for all things No Chill
2: all right so where we left off
1: last time it was your departure from golden State so that so we're gonna dispel the myth right now did you really make your decision with a coin flip
2: yes Yes, that's not a myth. That's, that's, that's true. Was anybody there to report it? No, yeah. no, just
0: me.
1: This is the first. Right
2: because <clears throat> it came down to um, it came down to Clippers and Washington. Um, but I was the, I think I was the second sought-out free agent. You know, it went Lamar Odom, then me. And then I didn't I didn't really pay attention to anyone behind me, um, but the team everyone thought I was going to was Denver because Kiki VanderWay trained me and Jason and Troy, you know, um, during our during our first two years in the summer we're coming going into the draft, so working on footwork. So he was you know really he I think he seen my potential first. Um, so he already expressed that I'm coming after you. Uh, Miami, they just drafted Dwayne Wade, um, then Utah, Denver, um, Clippers, and then Washington came later. So the word was Pat Riley didn't, he didn't want to pay a young guy. He didn't believe in paying young players. And because they got Dwayne Wade, they were thinking we can probably try to put him at the one uh, with his skill set. So, you know, that had been a conflict of interest. Utah, I just pushed out the window because I was not gonna follow <laughs> John Stockton. You know, I, you know, I'm I'm not gonna follow that guy. I'm sorry, you know. I'm a score, he's a passer. That's if you were used to for the last 17 years at a guy sitting here. Doing no look pass, and I'm a guy but that you, was. Their passing. pitch to
1: you would have been, "Yeah, we're starting this new chapter around a scoring guard. Obviously, okay, we don't have Stockton Malone anymore. It's your it's, team." Yeah, that.
2: that's that's great from franchise point, but fans view, you have a, one of the best point guards I've ever played, who was a passer, and I'm a young scorer. So that wasn't that is not how I wanted to start my my career. What they did is they tried to call a bluff because I was asking for the max at that point, which was, I think, like $84 million. And they said, well, we don't, we don't need him. We'll sign Andre Miller. So they signed Andre Miller, um, I think, 51. It was like $51 million. And then it was like, okay, we'll give Gilbert, you know, 53 And my agent was like, oh, no, no. They're not even on a save wavelength. You, you overpaid for Andre. Andre was good two years ago. And you're paying him for what he did two years ago, but he didn't have a great year last year. So we're not going to put them in the same. But thank you for (laughs) making the the bottom end, you know, $51 So I think me and um, Lamar Odom was trying to wait each other out because just like anything, there's a lead dog and then everyone sniffs the lead dog's ass. So I was the first dog to be smelling his ass at that point. (laughs) You are sniffing around. So I knew I was about... My agent was like, you're about eight to ten million away from what Lamar's gonna get. So depending on what Lamar gets, you can bounce right under that. You know, just a, you know, little levy bounce. So Clippers offered 55 million. And that was interesting because they had seven free agents and the rumor was he was gonna let them all go. And the NBA said, no, you're going to have to fucking pay someone. You're going to have to pay some of these guys. Fuck that. You're going to spend uh, money.
1: Elgin Baylor moves. Donald Sterling moves. Donald Sterling
2: moves. Yes. You know, it was one of those. His thing was, bring him in for four years, get rid of him. I don't, don't, you know, I'm not going to spend money. But this, he was told he had to bring some people in there. He had to spend money finally. So what ends up happening is, Washington was at about 55, 53 also and um byron russell decided to opt out of his deal once he apped out of his deal and the salary cap went up it pushed washington to 64 million so now they were the lead dog and byron russell wanted to come here and play for the lakers so once that opened up you know boom they became top-notch at 64. so i had my visit with you know i went to clippers first had a meeting with them. Went to Washington. Um, had the meeting with Abe Polin, um, and you know, he was basically saying, "Listen, I'm getting killed right now. <laughs> the the Jordan thing is killing me. I'm getting bad press. I need someone to come in here and help me out of it." Right. Talk
1: about a regime change. That yeah, and handle. he was, saying, was a weird the, time to come into that franchise. And he
2: said it. He said, "No free agents wants to come. So this is your city. He said, there's no star here.'" He said, you have, "You have Clinton Portis, who's you know, um, risk and star, but as a president, you don't have a charisma guy who can be a legit star. It's open here, so I was like, okay, uh, if if you if you can help me out of this Jordan era, you'll be taken care of. I was like, okay, so I go to my last visit is with um, <laughs> Golden State." and they picked me up in the um private jet and guess who's in the private jet terrell owens okay because he was 49 a receiver big dude and like you know and he's just telling me about the bay area but you know obviously i was there for two years i know what the mm-hmm. bay area is. you know so we didn't we didn't work out a deal there which it would have been sketchy anyway and i'm glad i didn't do the deal because i couldn't have trusted the process, you know, because they couldn't match. Because um, at that time, there was no Gilbert Arenas rule, and the rule was, if you didn't have your bird rights, you can only get the mid-level exception. Back then, it was was uh, like a seven-year, six-year, forty-two million, seven-year, forty-two. But I overexceeded that. So what ends up happening is if I have an offer for sixty-four, but Golden State can only offer me forty-two. They're behind,
1: and also because a second-round pick had never performed. At so that level. the
2: reason that is, 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 it never came up until me is because a second-rounder has never performed that fast and over-exceeded that forty-two million, and that's why they were benching me <laughs> during that year. But
1: they that, were trying see,
2: to, they were trying to keep me under that that mid-level exception.
1: Right. So you kind of saw something coming. Like there was some fuckery at hand. Yeah, it was I, fun, I su- it was... I suppose the league would be involved in that a little bit.
2: No, this is a team thing. Because, I mean, the team can fo- afford $42 million, but if a guy is averaging 18, 8, and 8...
1: But isn't I, that the point of the Players Association? Like, there should be somebody that's on your side to defend you.
2: Defend me from who? The team is... If the You're team not getting a, the
1: offer that you deserve.
2: No, it's, it's part of the contract. So they couldn't go over. They couldn't go over. So the team decided, well... If he keeps playing the way he's playing, he's gonna be worth 50 million, 60 million, 70 million. We can't afford him. Lower his minutes and get him under that 42. So the fact that I'm going into an immediate and they can't afford it, so they're, you know, so the deal was this is truth. The deal was one year, 4.9. One year, 4.9, under the table deal that would have been signed that day. Seven year, seventy nine million. That would have been held in a safe, by my uh-huh. possession, and I would have went back to Golden State for that one year, and then boom, I would have got that contract, which I was excited for because one, they had, they had a viper outside, a Ferrari <laughs> outside, you know, sweeten like, the pot. Yeah, this is yours, and I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> What does your agent say? My agent and Otis, because, you know, Otis was my guy. So I'm sitting there. They left the room, and we're talking about it, and Otis is looking at me <laughs> like, don't, don't, don't fucking be a nigra. <laughs> you know, basically, he gave me that don't be a nigra. look. I know you're looking at the cars and all that, but uh, you he can afford that if you just sign the sixty-three million right. million. Right now. <laughs> you know, and, you know, he he said one thing. He said, Jason Richardson, Troy Murphy, and Michael Dunleavy, and you. Someone's not going to get paid. They can't pay all of you. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, so what is he trying to say? But I already have, I'm, I'm like, I already have a contract. You know, if I sign him, I'm signing both, and I understood what he was saying—that someone's gonna get fucked—and you already have 64 million dollars on the table in your hand right now. Take it. So when we did the math, also Washington was way better because I'm starting off first year. If I'd went back, 4.9. Washington, eight million. Next year. But six something, nine. By the time the money matched up, I was out, I would have been out of the Washington deal, si- hopefully signing a max deal. You know, so I called up, you know, Abe and told him I was going to come. Oh, well, no. Yeah, yeah. No. I, I, fl- it, I did flip a
1: coin. Well, because, because also with about the Clippers, that's a return to L.A.
2: Yeah, Clippers. You got I got fifty-five million dollars on the Clippers, and then I got sixty-four in Washington.
1: Also, but they thought about playing in L.A., where you're from.
2: Because I've never left the West Coast, the East Coast was kind of it was diff- it was gonna be different away from home and then or I can be home, you know, in front of my friends, in front of my family, which I thought that was a career ender for me. You know, for a guy who's trying to be great at what he does. Having my friends around all the time, having my family around, didn't seem like a smart idea. So I flipped a coin. It landed on Clippers, the most you know, you know, seven out of ten. And oh,
1: you flipped it ten times,
2: yeah. And then I decided I do what I do best: go to opposite. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I go to Washington.
1: <laughs> so all the well, even what we know about the Clippers now, in hindsight
2: probably was not a great move to go to that franchise either. I, to be honest, my mindset at that age, 21 years old, your franchise didn't matter to me. There was a basketball and a basket. That's really all I cared about. I didn't, but, you, you know, you're going to give me extra shrimp, and I didn't give a shit about right. if you said hello to me. I don't, right. You know, because most of the time, I was in a gym before the staff anyway. You know, so most of the people I didn't see, you know, so it's, I, I wasn't going to get go upstairs and s- mingle with, you know, the desk workers, you know, I'm just sitting there to be great at what I am.
1: So then it's on to D.C.
2: So, so D.C., Ernie Grunfield, they, they hired Eddie Jordan, um, who came from, who has success in Sacramento with Bibby Nim and, and then. Success with um, Jason Kidna. And he has this Princeton offense, which, I don't I mean, (laughs) you know what I mean? Every offense I went through is fast-paced. So, uh, we start off the season, training camp was different because training camp, they just put the rule in um, where you – you can only have three-hour practices in training camp. Hour and a half of conditioning and hour and a half of contact, which I think pissed off coaches because they were so used to just doing what they wanted to do. Six hours, seven hours, they didn't care. And, you know, so there was a lot of running at the beginning because they wanted to, so y'all, you know, y'all some bitches, y'all complaining about (laughs) us. All right, we're going to do line drills for a whole hour and a half. You know, it was those type of You know, but, you know, I was always in shape, so I didn't fucking worry about training camp. Um, But what I realized is we spent so much time trying to learn the Princeton, which my IQ is high in basketball. Um, And I realized, ooh, we're going to struggle because this this... This offense wasn't made for young players, you know. This offense is a San Antonio, um, you know. uh, It's made for older, veteran teams that can think on the move and react.
1: Required more discipline, more cutting,
2: you know. So it's you know reactions. So (laughs) we struggled early. I got. I, I end up getting hurt. The, the East Coast winter hit, and from a West Coast kid yeah. who's never been in the snow, you don't know what you're supposed to do or not. You don't know the do's or the don'ts. So, <clears throat> one of those don'ts got me hurt again. <laughs> so I didn't know nothing about show shovels and shit. <laughs> like I didn't know nothing about shoveling snow and get a you know get someone out there to do all that. I figured. It's snow. Did you even have snow boots? No. I had Chuck Taylors <laughs> in. I was, I was, come on, I'm 21. I had Chucks. I got a Ferrari. None of it's working for the
1: snow. Yeah, by the way, <laughs> Chucks in the snow
2: yeah, never work yeah. well. So what ends up happening is I do what all West Coasters will probably do. Oh, snow cone, liquid, melts. Got it. Water hose. <laughs> spraying the snow with the water hose. did you see Home Alone?
0: Uh-huh.
2: So I was spraying the snow with the, the water with the snow. And I didn't know there's this thing called black ice. Didn't know what that was. So I go to the car, slip, re pull my groin. Oh, shit. <laughs> Out another month. <laughs> and then from there, it was just a battle of. Learning this offense, battling with Eddie Jordan because it's like, yo, we're cla- like, me and Eddie Jordan is clashing. Larry Hughes and Eddie Jordan is clashing because you're you're putting this structured offense in front of a bunch of athletes, not thinkers. Um, so we didn't really perform well, and it was kind of, you know, they just signed me too, so I'm the the guy everyone's looking at, like, oh, this. Right, you're the focal point. Yeah, you know, you just signed a big deal. Um, Kwame's not happy. I mean, it, we just didn't.
1: And it was also, it was that awkward time where we still had, you know, MJ's fingerprints all over the yeah, team with well, Stackhouse and Leitner. You and know, Stackhouse
2: Kwame. was in and out. He didn't really play much that year. You know, he had knee problems, so he didn't really, he didn't really have an impact on much of anything. You know, it was he got his deal. He was trying to get out. Um, me and Kwame didn't clash, like. But, you know, once MJ left, I'm pretty sure he thought it was his team and he was the future and all that. So when I came in, you know, I'm the new guy. And, you know, the new guy is not passing me the ball. But um, Stackhouse, Stackhouse, um, Stackhouse shut that shit down quick. Best meeting ever. You know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of fucked up by funny. Um, Kwame is like, yo, I need more touches. You know, I need to get the ball, like, Jermaine O'Neal. You know, and then you heard somebody whisper, you mean Jermaine Oatmeal, Jermaine Get Real. (laughs) Like, you know, so Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, shit, this is about to be a problem. (laughs) You know, as much as we made fun of Kwame, nobody wanted problems with Kwame.
1: (laughs) He was, like, country strong. He was country
2: Like, big, strong. Like, he was really – but he – He wasn't really physical like that, but if he wanted to, everyone was gonna shut the fuck (laughs) up. You know, but everyone always threw their jokes in, and then Stackhouse was basically saying, "Listen, if your ass averaged five last year, you're not gonna average twenty this year. Five, seven, you're averaging nine. You're doing good. (laughs) Like it was like, let's be realistic. Yeah, yeah. And it was one of those things. Like it was like, check." Like, you're not going to go from fucking five to 20. Nah, no, that's not going to happen. Only I mean, a few players in NBA history that's ever done that. Five, seven, nine. That's what you can do. Okay? You're averaging that. Be happy. Let's go. And what I'm, did Kwame say to that? Nothing. Oh. And I'm sitting there like, oh, so I ain't got to pass on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But that was our first year trying to figure out who we were, battling the offense, trying to figure out who's the dominant force, who's. You know, so we really had problems our first year. But as a team, we didn't have any beef. It was just a bunch of 21-, 22 year olds with a bunch of older guys that really didn't—they didn't weigh in. Like Krishna Laker didn't weigh in on anything. You know, those guys didn't. So you know, it was so a
1: struggle, but you guys didn't exactly gel with the roster that year. We had. didn't
2: gel or disgel. We didn't. We were trying to figure it out. I mean, it's,
1: there wasn't chemistry.
2: Yeah, it was like the Lakers. Last year.
1: You knew it was a transition.
2: It was a transition. You don't know. You, you know who's being the focal point.
1: Who they're going to groom know, for You know future. who the
2: media is. You know the media. Okay, you got Lonzo Ball. But, you know, Ingram is like, it's my team. Um, you got Jordan Clarkson's like, well, shit, I'm technically the best scorer on here. And then you got Kuzma's like, well, shit, I'm a rookie and I'm leading this team in scoring. You got Randall, who's like, oh, shit, I don't know what they talk about on him. But there's no conflict between the players themselves, but you trying to figure out who's the dominant force. You're, you're still pecking at the pecking order.
1: But really, the coaches have to figure that shit out. And if you're not nah, winning games...
2: No, nah, coaches, coaches don't have no control over pecking order. You can say he's the man, but if there's another man demonstrating he's the man on the court, the players are going to gravitate to what they're talking about. So
1: off that, you know mixed results, and even the injury stuff for you. It didn't start, it didn't, it wasn't immediate success in no,
2: D.C. So what ended up happening is Eddie Jordan decided to say, you know what, let's go to a playoff game. So we went down to New Jersey's because that was his success for me to watch Jason Kidd, not to watch how Jason Kidd played and ran offense because we're two different players. But the see the offense, like how it's supposed to look. So we're watching, and and I'm sitting here like, well, to be honest, in the half court, I'm watching it like, yo, Eddie, in the half court, Jason Kidd has no input really. Like he doesn't have – what is he doing in the half court? Yeah, and in, in full court, you know, he's passing throwing stuff, in, yeah. But in a half court, the ball is going through the three and a four. Our three and our three and four wasn't. They didn't think like that. You know, so how we're we gonna run this offense if your three, your your three, your four, your five are think tanks? You know, so you got Kenya Martin making backdoor passes, Ollie oops. You got. Um, the Collins throwing alley-oop to Kenya Martin. Your four and your five are really important in this offense. Um, So we did that. I got the playbook, and I said, look, I'll take the playbook, make some changes to it. I'll stick within the playbook, but I'll make a little changes, and I need to look at it to see how I can score and I can be myself within this offense. So instead of just bucking, give me the playbook. I'll study it the whole summer, figure out how, so I know when someone's cutting, how to go down his back, or you know, just so I got the playbook, s- studied it. Then our draft pick was I think fifth, and we end up trading with Dallas, Devin Harris, and got an Antoine Jamerson.
1: Also, Stackhouse and Layton are in that
2: trade. St- Sacking late with the pick. Yes. So me and Larry back. And we get an Antoine, we're older now. Oh, this is going to be good. With Kwame Brown, Jared Jeffries, you know, you got uh, Brendan Haywood, Etan Ta- Like, oh, yeah, we got Jarvis Hay. We got, okay, this is going to be good. Um, and sure enough, you know, that second year, like clockwork, we're playing much better. Um, what did that happen a- right away? When did you know it was six Yeah, it, ha- it happened right away. What we did have is, you remember Lakers' backup team, and the, the same person who led that was leading us, which uh, Shannon Brown, Steve Blake, and that fast tempo. That too came out. So if the starters were down 5, 10, 15, Steve Blake, Juan Dixon, that, that Maryland backcourt was pushing that pace, pushing the numbers up so fast that we was catching everybody in the fourth quarter. Like, it was just, it was one of those. And I ended up having a breakout moment. So, Larry Hughes was basically the lead dog that year. Him, Antoine, and I was kind of like third. You know, I was, it was, yeah, it was Larry Hughes. He averaged about 20. He was averaging about 23. I was at the 19-2 area. Antoine was 20-10. and 10. Um, Larry Hughes broke his thumb that year. Uh, I think he broke it in San Antonio. I went 0 for 12. (laughs) I went 0 for 12, like one of the worst performances that I had in Washington, 0 for 12. And then woke up, and I had to take the team on my back. And that's when, that's when I made my all – see, I wasn't originally those first – I wasn't originally playing at an all-star level. Larry Hughes was. What ended up happening is when he got hurt, I took on that scoring burden where I think I scored 40 games in double digits. So I was really – I think I was averaging about 27 when he was out. Were you at
1: times having to break out of the offense? Go iso more one four flat.
2: No, I just knew how to score in the offense. So, uh, so at
1: that point, things had clicked with you. Yeah, from it, that cli- it clicked playbook. because
2: I didn't have, uh, I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't have to defer to Larry. So between me and Larry, because our offense was two guards, two forwards, a center. There was no point or no two. We both did the same job. So when people say, "Well, he he needed to pass the ball more," no, between the two of us. We averaged 11 assists. Between the two of us, we averaged five steals. Between the two of us, we averaged 12 rebounds. Between the two of us, 50-something points.
1: So it was a backcourt of two combo yeah, so, guards. Yeah, it was
2: two combo guards playing a one and a two. You know, the three and the four is the three and a four. And that's how we did it. So once he was gone, I had to take on that, that, that scoring thing. So I just became a demon. <laughs> I became a demon and then ended up getting picked for the all Star. Over Larry, you know, and I made I made my first All Star game, which I mean, if anyone knows anything about the first of anything, it's the most exciting time of your life. Um, Like I mean, I couldn't I can't stop smiling now thinking about it. Like it was it was like um, it was in Denver. (laughs) It was in Denver. Had Um, Had you ever been to All Star Weekend before? Yeah, with Jason Richardson.
1: Oh right, Uh, Dunk contest, dunk Contest.
2: Um, you know when I see my name on that All Star, I mean you're talking about a kid. Come on, like that's yeah, that's grinding grinding his ass off and all that. And you had an All Star, and my name is on the back of this All Star. Like I don't know if there was clips back from when I when I was uh, when I did the All Star game, and I'm cheering like, oh my god, I'm an All Star, and I, you know, because I'm with Green Hill, Vince Carter, Shaq. I mean. Dwayne Wade, LeBron's first one, like I'm there, I'm I'm here. You're one of them. Yes, it it's like I don't even know if I scored, or I don't even know if they put me in a game. I can't remember. How was just so fucking happy that I fucking made the all star?
1: And it's also that what that does to you against your peers, like now that elevates you to your that all star status, which you work so hard, guys
2: work their whole careers to get to that level. But you know what? I didn't even look at it like that because. Me, what the success I had to do to get there? I mean, you're talking about 40 straight double-digit points in scoring. Um, at least 35 of them was 20 and above. I didn't taste it, something. No. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't taste the demons. Has tasted blood. You were not tasted a score, a knack for scoring. It became easier. You know, it's you know now I'm I'm at. You know, twenty-two, twenty-three, and I just showed—I just showed a month, two months of dominant basketball. Oh, you—you you can't rewind me back. You're not gonna rewind me back, and that's how it went. So we made it to the playoffs, um, going against the Bulls, the young Bulls, um, on. Nobody nobody can really... You have to be an honest person if, to admit what I'm about to admit. Whoever that coach was, was it Scott Skiles at the time? No. Who the fuck was that coach? Can you look that up? But they should have, they, they should have beat us. They, they were... Paper-wise, they were more complete and better. But I think um, the benching of Eddie Curry kind of helped us out a little bit, um, because when you're talking about the way our, our team was, they had um, they had Chandler and Eddie at the four five against Antoine and Brendan. I mean Antoine has given up so much height on Eddie Curry. Then you had Lou Dang, Nocioni. And then you have Kirk Heinrich. You had, the, you had the guards.
1: Who was on you? Heinrich or Duhon? They would have
2: put Duhon on you. They had a, no. He, yeah, Duhon on me because Kirk Heinrich, because Larry Hughes was playing great. No. K- Kirk went back and forth. Whoever was hot, he went to neutralize. Um, no, but I think – no, because they had Ben Gordon. So I think Ben Gordon and Larry was um, – but be honest, the only reason we won that series is because they didn't play Eddie Curry.
1: That was Scott Skiles, by the
2: yeah, way. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't play Eddie Curry. And that, because if he would have played that four or five, we wouldn't, we didn't have nothing for it. Didn't have an answer for that. So we dropped the first two games against them. Um, because we couldn't figure out, we couldn't figure out a, a, a play they were doing. And I remember we're in game three at home. Um, Clashing, coaching staff and the players were like, "Y'all are fucking stupid." This is not. And then Brendan Haywood, <laughs> Brendan Haywood was like, "Listen, stop running the two three. The two three. What they're doing is they're setting a pick and roll. When we switch it, you have Tyson Chandler on this person. You have you know you're doing that. Then they swing it, swing it, and then Antoine is on this side." When he's running out the ding, ding is already on the move, burning them every time, and he's getting in the middle every time. That's why we can't stop it. So what we're going to do is we're going to do one, two, two, put Jerry Jeffries at the top, two guards. When they do the pick and roll, Eddie, um, Jerry Jeffries is switching big back to big. You deny that pass up there, they can't swing at the ding, Right? It's that fucking easy. Right. Coach staff, of course. Oh, <laughs> they, think they, they think they can coach now, huh? If you guys think you coach, coach yourselves. So, all right, they leave. Yeah. And we're trying to figure out, and we're doing it. And it was like, oh, that that that, that shit worked. Game three, blow the asses out.
1: Game yeah, you four, come in o- down but, o two. 2
2: Yeah, blow the asses out. Game five, we're blowing their asses. Oh, we're beating this shit out of them. And... It was a harder series for me because I was averaging like 30-something against them during regular season, and then they honed in on the playoffs, which it was my first first experience in on how to adjust. You know, it's because, you know, you go into like, yeah, I've been busting your ass for the whole year, and in the playoffs you're shutting me down. Why?
1: Because you're seeing them night after night.
2: Because they're adjusting. Right. Okay, this is what he did in the playoffs. We're going to shut it down. So I remember Scottie Pippen telling our trainers, like, they're focused on him. He needs to defer and then pick his spots. This is just one of those series. If you guys want to win it, he can't try to score 30. He can't. 15, 17, and let everybody else score, get the pressure off him, it'll be better. And that's what ended up happening game two, three, four. So game five. (laughs) We're up. We're up like 15, 20. Crowds, crowd is in the parking lot, chilling. <laughs> chilling in the parking lot. I think we're up like 12, 15 with a minute, minute left, minute and a half left. They put in bench player. Pargo. Put in Pargo, okay. Pargo comes in. Boom, hits a three. (laughs) Okay, I hit a three. We missed. Boom, Pargo hits another three. (laughs) This one dude brung them back and tied the fucking game up with a minute left. We're in a timeout fucking distraught like what the fuck is Yeah, going
1: you hadn't on? scouted this guy like the other Like yeah, guys, you know, you but you're talking about a
2: uh, one one man came in and just instant office. instant office, the fucking microwave. Never seen nothing like it. It was just boom 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 boom. I blacked out. <laughs> I blacked out. I'm sitting there visualizing that basket. And I said to myself, Oh, this is the moment you've been waiting for. Right here. Eddie Jordan's drawing up a play. To this day, I can't tell you what he called, what he drew, but I know it wasn't for me. Because <laughs> Larry Hughes was having 30 something. He had 30 something that night. And all I just told, look, this is how this is how selfish I was. <laughs> I told Anthony Piller, yo, who's taking the ball out? Like, we just went through a play. So when they say, dude, it may players pay attention to locker <laughs> and, and, at half, and, um, and timeouts. I can tell you, no. Because whatever play they drew up, I didn't even know who took the ball <laughs> out of bounds. Uh-huh. I didn't know where I was supposed to go. I just said. You were hey.
1: off in another galaxy.
2: Yeah, I, was, I already visualized that I'm about to take this last shot and hit this motherfucker in front of this crowd. Yeah. So I told Anthony, yo, hey, who's taking the ball out? He was like, me. Just give me the ball. He was like, yeah, I was supposed to pass you the ball. Oh, good. (laughs) It's my play. Cool. So I'm up there sizing the time down. And something opened up. Like, oh, shit. Everyone went from this side to this side. It's me and Kurt. Went down the left side. I seen Tyson, you know, like stop and come over. So I had to throw it up a little bit higher. Go in, boom, cheering, you know, going crazy. My first game winner, not even my no, it's not my first my first game winner on a big stage. Right. You know, in the NBA, the playoffs, game five. Right. Like
1: to say that's one of those defining moments. Yeah,
2: it was like that he I'm here moments. Um <laughs> when I look back at the the play. The play was a double screen down for Larry <laughs> on the baseline. It was like a baseline double screen coming out of the end. So what I seen like, oh, shit, he left. <laughs> he left because I was supposed to sit at the top of the key, and he was supposed to come off a double pin, a double sc- uh, baseline screen. I was supposed to pass the ball. But when I seen him run, I ran that same way, too, to shoot my jumper. And then I remember we're cheering, and we're walking into the locker room, and then someone said, yeah, we'll see y'all game seven. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> I just ended that.
1: <laughs>
2: hey, I, you took momentum. I just too. took you're this momentum. To I just took the momentum. This game is over. Went back to Washington. We're down four. We're down four. Larry Hughes is dribbling the ball up. Kirk Henry steals it. Instead of giving up on a play, I chased Kirk Henry down. Block. Stop him from going up six. Would have ended our game. Would have probably sealed the game for them. We come down, hit it three or two, and boom, we end up winning that game. And then we got the series. Got the series. First series in a while. I jump up there, cheer, boom, boom, boom. I remember watching. I remember seeing something <laughs> in the stands. In the stands, saying, "Bring on the heat! Bring on the heat, like we're bring on the heat."
1: What is it like to win in D.C.? As, you know, that city, um, obviously, they, the Wizards hadn't been good. They were on a playoff job. They, had, um, you know, it was your first time in the playoffs, hit the, the game winner. But is it a slept-on sports
2: city? Yeah, because, because it's a transit city where everyone's in for business, politic, and you know, so they don't realize there's, there's a hardcore D.C. fan base. Um, And I found out because when I first got there, I was the first NBA player to go down to Berry Farms and play inside the gates. That's what they call it, inside the gates. Um, Because I heard, like, real ball players play there. So the young Kevin Durant in high school, Michael Beasley. But, you know, you got all your street legends, you know, that everyone respect. So no matter if you're playing in the NBA, if you don't go down there and prove yourself to them, they don't respect you. Is
1: right? it like the, the like Rucker? Like the Rucker. Yeah, yeah. So or the there, Drew Rucker. Yeah, yeah. yeah
2: so it's their Rucker outside. So I go down, drive, <laughs> drive the Maybach down there, <laughs> take my chucks off, put on there, you know, the crowd talking shit, the players, you know, they're trying to do that little gritty. But they never, listen, I'm a bucket getter, man. <laughs> All right? I'm a bucket getter. Not one of you guys is seven foot. Y'all all about 6'465. Six, six, this is my game right here. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm out there just bodying people. My first day, and I remember one of the dudes like, yeah, he looks scared. He probably ain't gonna come back no more. It became my playground for the summer. You know, so I what I what what ended up happening is as my success in the arena was prevailing, my street basketball was prevailing also. So then I bridged two worlds, sh- the street of D.C. and the, the white America. The mainstream fan and base, and mainstream.
1: right. The street cred, the street yeah. fan base. And
2: then I brung them all in one. Then became where no white person will look towards the Berry Farms area, but it's like, well, Gilbert's down there. You know, it's Gilbert and, you know, another NBA player's down there. They're playing down there. Then you start sprinkling of mainstream white like people come in. right? Like, then it became a whole event. And then I think that's what really pushed me over to the next level um, of, you know, what D.C. was about. So the fans was there. They just never had anyone to really cheer for.
1: Right. The players didn't come in there and connect to the fans. Yeah, they like didn't connect
2: did. to the fans. You know, they just stayed NBA players, stayed NBA, and then we're going to go to the club. Right. You know?
1: They'll live the life, yeah. but... Do you think not enough guys do that now? If they go to a new like if Kau- now doing, if Kawhi wants to stay in Toronto, goes there, gets involved in and runs there and ends out in the now, community. But now, now
2: see, they didn't have NBA care program back then.
1: Yeah, but that we know is marketing and yeah, stage but they didn't have stuff. it then. Where right,
2: the players went into the community and stuff. So either you did or you didn't. Um, but you know when it came to basketball, but I had it in my contract where I was the only player that had. Love for the game clause. So I had the Jordan rule. So it was the love of the game. So I was the only player that actually had it in this contract word. That means I get to play anywhere I want. So if I got hurt, who cares? As long as I think it fits my game, I'm going to play. So I was the only player playing in games like that. So when we start making the playoffs, you know, that's where the fan base came from. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember we played Miami, which was fucking stacked. There was young D Wade at that time. He caught his his nickname Flash for right. a reason. You got Shaq. You got Alonzo. Um, I think, I think Gary Payton and all of them were there that year.
1: Yeah, and you had like uh, well, obviously Adonis Haslam and um, I think they. Who would have guarded you? That would have been uh, Dura. Uh, was that Doolin and well,
2: Eddie? Eddie Jones, they had for a time. Yeah, they did Jones a little bit, but that was like dueling. Keon Dooling, yeah. Keon Dooling, Damon Jones. But the funny thing is about that series, we get swept, right? Oh, Back, to, get,
1: back to that series.
2: Yeah, yeah we, we get swept, getting our ass handed to us. We couldn't we couldn't stop them. Because, you know, <clears throat> it was Shaq. You couldn't, you know, we didn't. Then when you get off to, with Shaq.
1: an answer for Biggs.
2: Yeah, when you get off with Shaq, you got fucking Alonzo. You know, so there was no room for... <laughs> there was no room for failure. You know, you had to play perfect against them. But the funniest thing about it is because you remember we chanted, bring on the heat. Right. <laughs> bring on the heat. Game game four, we're getting swept. <clears throat> I look in the stands. Dude with a big-ass sign. <laughs> when, you, when you play with the heat, your ass to burned. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I spit my Gatorade up because it was just the funniest shit ever. I mean because we we were chanting that we wanted the motherfuckers, and you got this big old sign like, "Yeah, it's gonna get burned."
1: NBA trolling, yeah. But also for you guys, a relatively inexperienced team, you're coming into that. Were you guys? Did you guys come into that series too high? In hindsight,
2: too high. I mean, look. The Bulls was four for a reason. You know, You know Scott Skiles or whatever happened between him and Eddie, that's the reason we really got. I mean, because at that point we were smaller than, you know, Chicago or, you know, uh, My, uh, Miami at that time were two, bigs, two big seven-footers would have killed us because we got Brendan – but you got Antoine at 69. You know, so that height would have put so much pressure on you know Brendan that you know we couldn't defend down there. So if Eddie Curry was there, we wouldn't have won that series. So, you know, playing them, we got we got barbecued.
1: All right. So that was your first taste of the playoffs. Mhm. Next year, the move to get Karan, things change a bit. Did you think you were going to have you Ron, well, Antoine and Larry. No, no.
2: So what ended up happening is, um, Mr. Poland, Mr. Poland had to have a triple bypass heart surgery. His only wish before he went in is sign Larry Hughes. <laughs> Make sure we signed Larry Hughes. Um, when Larry Larry signed to Cleveland. So he goes to Cleveland. Um, when um, a Poland woke up, first question, did we sign Larry? And when they had to tell him no, he started crying. Because, you know, he loved his team. Um, we make the trade for Quran, so we have Quran in. Now we have to replace Larry. So we uh, sign Antonio Daniels. Um, so we start off the season, me, Antonio, um, Antoine, Jared Jeffries, at, and um, Brendan Haywood. So we're we're smaller than we were before, but you know, but I guess it wasn't <clears throat> it wasn't working out. Antonio was more of a He wasn't a pure point nor a pure two. So what they were looking for, he wasn't really giving it, because um, he didn't shoot the ball. He didn't shoot the ball well. He was a great driver, you know. He knew how to get filed, you know. So he was a great, actually a great six man. So what they end up doing is switching Kron, and, Anto- uh, Kron and, and Antonio, and then from there, we take off. Um, you know, I think that's the year average, what, 29? Um, yeah, I was going
1: to say, the things that changed for you primarily was that you had to step up on offense without Larry because, like he, you said, you had that combo of
2: – Yeah, that, remember I tasted that – I tasted what right. without Larry looked like, and it it looked good. <laughs> <You were hooked. laughs> it, it looked good. You know, that them 47 them games where Larry was gone, it looked good for me. You know, so when we lost Larry, you know – and we started off the season, and Antonio wasn't, you know, putting up twenty. I had to take on, you know, that that, that scoring. Was that role. something
1: that the coaches told you, or you you noticed that yourself? And you... no, I
2: mean, I I had to do it myself. I didn't. Right. I mean, you know, you you don't have to tell a score to score. Yeah. well, yeah.
1: Green light. <laughs> Green light. So that put the scoring on you and Antoine.
2: No, Karan is a scorer, right? I mean, <laughs> the the but you tough, said... tough juice is a funny name because we was like. He, he he's tough juice on offense. <laughs> like, Quran, like Karan <laughs> was the best because uh, he had knock your head off for the ball. <laughs> like, offensive rebounds, diving for the ball, that was tough juice. He was going to get it. So, it was, we always made a play about it. Like, yeah, Coach, he's, he's tough juice. When he's coach gave him that nickname? He's seeking that, Yeah. Cause he was a, he was our tough guy he was our he was our grunt guy, you know, he did all he you know that's I said offensive rebounds he he did the things a lot of players didn't do
1: the lunch pail stuff yeah so then that team I mean really yeah you were you were loaded I mm-hmm. feel but it was early right also that season um, getting an all star
2: well technically right technically they them pieces of shit in the east coast. <laughs> decided they want to play favoritism all-star voting because Larry Brown over in the Pistons decided (laughs) it should be about winning and this and that and four Pistons, five Pistons and you know it's they're friends so so this this is when I found out that the reserve, the reserve picks are f- fucking stupid because how fans vote. Fans vote, okay, you got two guards, two forwards back then, one center. When coaches vote, it's top seven. There's no order. There's no two guards. You can, one coach can pick five guards. So what ends up happening is they take the top votes, and that's who becomes all-star. Well, you would think the top votes, if they're guards, you will have seven reserve guards. No. Whoever gets this list decides, okay, we're going to pull these two as guards. Ooh, this third guard has more votes than the rest of them. Ooh, but we got those two spots filled up already. So we're going to go to the next guy who has two votes. But... No one has more votes than him in his position. So so they end up doing the same thing as fan voting, you know, which they don't tell the coaches that, which is the fucked up part. So they're manipulating this voting process because let's say me and back then, me and Paul Pierce, both were tied. Who, who's deciding this tiebreaker? Coaches. No, no one. No one knows. No one's deciding the tiebreaker. Just whoever got it, David Stearns, get this and say, okay, well, they're tied. Well, um, Chauncey, Billup, and Rip are already the, the, the backup point guard, so we don't need Gilbert. We're going to go with Paul. That's what they're doing. You know, so that's why when you say, well, how the fuck did this guy make the All-Star game? is because in his position as the 3-4, hey, he was fine. But So, so I got Snow. As
1: it know. Yeah, as it worked out.
2: Yeah, first got but,
1: snubbed, but you didn't make it.
2: Okay, so yeah, I got snubbed and Jermaine O'Neill got hurt. But the problem with the snub wasn't that you're snubbing a guy who's averaging twenty-nine point one, which was fourth in the NBA. So what you decided to do is go, all right, we're gonna take first, second, third, skip fourth, go fifth, sixth, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 then make the all-star game. Which was then it was like, okay. It's about winning. We're fifth. We're we're five. (laughs) We're fifth. (laughs) So I'm automatically there. So the problem that you, the fact that you actually snubbed me where I'm fourth and leading, my team is fifth. There's, what the fuck are you thinking about? So I decided, I got mad and I said, I'm the East Coast assassin. I'm going to, I'm going to wreck every East Coast team that didn't vote it for me. And the bad part about that is I'm the only player. I don't want to say the only, but I'm probably the only player that ever gave coaches anything for getting selected. So every time I got selected, I sent them fruit baskets. Three years, fruit basket. So the fact that I sent you ass a fruit basket after my first All-Star and you snubbed me on <laughs> my second <laughs> means you didn't like that shit.
1: Or they never got <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, No, they got it. Picked it up in the office. They, they got
2: it. So <laughs> so we go to the All-Star game. We do this. You know, Jermaine O'Neal is my dude because of that. I made it because of you. Oh, no. Somebody tried, tried to pull the ball smooth on David Third. Who was that? Jason Kidd. Jason Kidd came out and said, if I'm not the replacement, I'm not playing on the USA basketball team. Like, yo, did he just try to – he's pulling one of those moves. Would it
1: Was something in his contract that he would have got a bonus? He I don't know. All-star? I don't know. I think a guy at that point in his career. It's, he was playing well. He was playing well, well I mean, right. You know,
2: He was playing well. But it's my, not like
1: he hadn't been in the All Star game before. But
2: my, uh, my, my, you know, A. Poli wasn't having that shit. He called Davis Stern yeah. and said, pff, pff, "I don't give a fuck what you're thinking about. You're not snubbing him twice. Double not for no Jason Bruce. Kidd at this point, you know." So I end up making it, and then the second, and then during my press conference, I tell him, I, "Listen, I can't wait to wait to get back to regular season because I'm fucking him up." <laughs> the sad part is, I did the same thing I was doing before. Now it's, oh my God, he's living up to his word. Wait a minute. That's what this is about. If I say it and do it, I'm a God. If I do it and don't say nothing, they don't see it. Then the personality of the shit talker emerged. And that's where hibachi came from, because of that experience where. Because I said I was going to kill the East Coast, and I'm the East Coast assassin, and I'm doing the same thing I did when you snubbed me, but now you're praising me, um, player of the week, player of the month, player of the week. Like, what? You You guys are stupid.
1: But you realize that when you put yourself out there like that, when you talk the talk, but you could back it up, that's where you got the attention from. Yeah, but, but... Fans loved it. Fans ate it up. But that's
2: the problem. I'm averaging 29 already. Right. I didn't average a point more. I'm doing the same exact thing, but because I put words behind it... Yeah. You're like, oh my God, he's killing everybody. He's doing what he said he was going to do. Or, you know, I'm just... No, I'm doing the same thing I was doing before. It's an art form. You want see you to, that enough. I just want you to look at me, fucking... <laughs> like... You know, and that's, and that's where the shit-talking came.
1: Yeah, came not t- a lot of guys can do that. They aren't shit-talkers. They're used to just letting their game back
2: it up. <clears throat> if you're in a small town, I realize you got to shit-talk. Especially if you're a scorer. Like, if you're Damian Leonard, shit-talk. You're going to put up a 27, 28. Put some words behind it. To not make in his them personality, though. I know. But you see why he gets snubbed all the time.
1: Right. All right, so where you're at at this point? You're the man in DC.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You've connected to the fans, Black President. <laughs> All the nicknames start rolling. <laughs> yeah, uh, they were Black President. Yeah, I came in. I came
2: in with the Black President. I came in with the Black President before um,
1: Obama, by the
2: way. Yeah, this way before uh, Obama uh. from MySpace. My, someone, I guess they got a, a hold of my MySpace account, <laughs> and you know how you had like top eight. Top eight, Mm -hmm. your friends. It was like all these beautiful women that I didn't know, but they were just beautiful. And it said Secret Service. (laughs) So I was like, oh, shit. You're the black president, and that's your secret? No, because my name was Black President 01. And then that was my Secret Service. And then someone was like, oh, man, you're like an agent. You're like a double-O agent. And that's where Agent Zero came from.
1: How about Hibachi? was was that 06? That was...
2: Yep, that was those. those
1: I mean, you had all those game, those scoring games to get before the All Star break?
2: No, no. Hibachi didn't come in until um, 2000, when Larry left. That, that, that year, 2006, yeah. 2005,
1: 2006. Yeah. All right. What yeah. else? What, what other nickname are we for not getting to?
2: That was it. Okay.
1: Uh, that's the name. So the hibachi nicknames. wasn't a nickname, it was a phrase. It,
2: it was a frame of mind. And it was a yeah, it was <laughs> it, can, it it was Brendan Haywood. He he was like, um, so the year the year before I started using it, he was like, Yo, you and Larry get fucking barbecued out there, bro. <laughs> they got show ass on the hibachi grills out there. <laughs> it was like so I remember I was like, yo, we, we hibachi. We, we hibachi and a few people too, dog. Don't just say we out here getting queued up like shrimp and fucking chicken. And then I remember when I started hitting like three shots, I was like, ooh, I got a mother hibachi pill. And I started doing this. And then from there, it just clicked.
1: So you owned it. You, at yeah. that point, you owned it. Yeah. With me. Um, but what everybody wants to get to from that 06 season was the crab dribble. Playoff matchup with LeBron and Cleveland. So I think that's what we're gonna pick up next time. Okay. As we as we go uh, through the years here in the early days of the No Chill podcast. Um, so yeah, that's coming next. Thank you to Life Recovery Water. And also be sure to subscribe, iTunes, SoundCloud, catch a video on
2: YouTube, be back again All right. the crab trap. <laughs> infamous. Fucking travel, that's what ain't No crab journal, It was a travel, travel. <laughs> Delta travel. She <Gaston: fade> has done to me, and in your part to say, what the day is coming up we must be personally. she has done to me, and in <Zion> your part to say, what the day is coming up we must be personally. and she has done to me, and in your part to say, what the day is coming up we must be personally. and she has done to me, and in your part to say, what the day is coming up with most